Welcome to the Proper Lookout Podcast, published by the Statutory Insurance Group of McCabe Kerwood. In this series, our CTP experts will discuss a range of topics, sharing their thoughts on an industry trend or an intriguing legal issue, explaining the intricacies of an important case, and hopefully imparting some of the knowledge that they have gained. Hi everyone, my name's Eden Christopher, an associate here at McCabe Kerwood. I've been given the difficult task of following Chad Farrah's podcast from last week, which compared the Workers' Comp Scheme with the Motor Accident Injuries Act Scheme. Uh, We had some great feedback about Chad's podcast, so I'll try my best to meet his standard, but uh, no guarantees. All I'm going to be talking about today is um, quickly running through the common law entitlements under the Motor Accident Injuries Act. You'll probably know that this year is when we're expecting our first claims for damages under the new scheme. Uh, If my math's correct, it should be about August this year. I'm hoping this podcast is a useful way for anyone unfamiliar with the Act to get a basic understanding of claims for common law damages under the new scheme. I'm going to break it up into two sections. One, who can claim, and then two, what they can claim. It's probably easiest if you have a copy of the legislation open as we go through this. Uh, Most of the good stuff's in part four, which is appropriately named Awards for Damages. Okay, first part, who can claim. So let's look at section 4.1. It says, this part of the Act applies to awards of damages that relate to the death of or injury to a person caused by the fault of the owner or driver of a motor vehicle in the use or operation of the vehicle. The word fault and the phrase use and operation of a vehicle are all tests that anyone familiar with the old Act would know. So there we have it, our first restriction on who can claim under the new Act. You've got to prove fault and it's got to be in the use or operation of a vehicle. The next restriction is in section 4.4. This section says that no damages may be awarded to an injured person if the person's only injuries resulting from the accident were minor injuries. As most people know, what constitutes a minor injury is in its teething period. There's a lot of contentious definitions about what is and what is not a minor injury. We've released a couple of podcasts on it. The Act and regulations and the guidelines, they all try and provide some assistance, but at the moment it's still sort of being worked out and I'm not going to deal with it. But to come back to section 4.4, it's worded in such a way as to suggest a gateway-type model to access an award for damages. And what I mean by gateway is that if a claimant has 10 injuries, say, but just one of them is a non-minor injury, then the legislation seems to say that the claimant is able to open the gate and then claim damages for all the injuries, even the minor ones. I think that's uh, particularly interesting. So there we have it, our first two hurdles. One, the claimant has to establish fault in the use or operation of a vehicle. Two, the claimant has to have at least one non-minor injury. There's also procedural hurdles to lodging a claim, and they're set out in Part 6 of the Act. I've already mentioned one, which is that you can't lodge a claim within 20 months of the accident. There are exceptions, though. In Section 6.14, it says that if you're, or if a claimant's whole person impairment exceeds 10%, then they can make an early claim for common law damages. And if you're in that section as well, 6.14, there's also a time limit on lodging claims for damages. And it basically says that if you lodge a claim after 36 months from the date of the accident, then you have to provide a full and satisfactory explanation for your delay, which is a concept that many people will be familiar with. What I find interesting is that I was thinking that a claim for damages under this new act, you'd need to be over 10% WPI, but that's not the case at all, except if you're making a claim for non-economic loss, which is similar to the previous scheme. And that pretty much wraps up about who can claim under the new act. Let's talk now about what they can claim. Now, if you look at part four as a whole, 
The first thing you will notice is that there is no division dealing with damages for treatment and care. Section 4.3 confirms that the only damages able to be awarded is economic loss under Division 4.2 and damages for non-economic loss under Division 4.3, unless the claim relates to one lodge pursuant to the Compensation to Relatives Act, 1897. But we're not going to deal with that in this podcast. So there you have it, the first restriction in what can be claimed. You can only claim damages for economic loss and then non-economic loss. The big omissions are obviously treatment, past and future gratuitous care, or past and future replacement services. Some of these expenses, such as treatment and care, are covered under the statutory benefits scheme. And then even economic loss, uh, you can claim weekly benefits for up to 104 weeks under the statutory benefits scheme. It's useful to note that if you lodge a claim for damages under Section 3.12, this period of entitlement to weekly benefits extends to 156 weeks if the claimant's WPI is under 10% or 260 weeks if the claimant's WPI is greater than 10%. Okay, so that basically covers what can be claimed under the new Act. But let's quickly look at Division 4.2, which deals with claims for economic loss. It's easy to forget that the term economic loss is not just to do with earnings. And you'll see that in Section 4.5, where it includes accommodation and travel as an economic loss that the claimant can claim. However, as mentioned before, economic loss arising from commercial care is omitted from claims for economic loss under this scheme, which is a big change compared to the last Act. Division 4.2 includes other familiar concepts, such as applying a discount rate to awards for economic loss and assessing the claimant's most likely future circumstances but for the accident as a basis for then determining what is the future economic loss. A really interesting development in this scheme is Section 4.8. It says that if there's a dispute about the degree of impairment of the person's earning capacity, then it can be referred to a medical assessor for determination. I'll just repeat that. An assessment of the claimant's earning capacity, not the WPI, can be referred for assessment. I'm pretty interested to see how this turns out. Say, for instance, the claimant's injuries restrict him or her to do certain aspects of their job, but they're getting by and they're still able to earn their full wage. I imagine that the medical assessor's job is just to say, for instance, that the claimant's earning capacity is reduced by 30% due to shoulder restriction or whatever. And that determination is then taken to the court or the dispute resolution service. And then say, for instance, the claimant's still earning a full wage, then the court's determination under established legal principles is that there's no economic loss. Because although there is an incapacity, there's no financial loss arising from that incapacity. Now, I wonder how that all is going to play out. I wonder if even non-medical evidence will have any sway to the medical assessor determination, such as evidence that the claimant is still earning a full wage, notwithstanding there's some restrictions still. Yeah, I'm just interested to see how that turns out. I'm interested to see how it all works. But just to sum up, the claimant can make a claim for damages under the Motor Accident Injuries Act if A, the claimant sustained a non-minor injury, B, the claimant can prove fault by the owner or driver of a motor vehicle in the use or operation of the vehicle, and C, at least 20 months have passed since the date of the accident, with some exceptions. Two, the claimant can claim damages for A, economic loss, such as loss of earnings and accommodation expenses, and B, damages for non-economic loss if the claimant's whole person impairment is greater than 10%. All right, that's it. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Proper Lookout podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. For more information on anything discussed, please contact Peter Hunt at peter.hunt at mccabecurwood.com.au 
or visit our website to see McCabe Kerwood's full team of specialists.